Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalms. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Well, good morning. Welcome to Lower Manhattan Community Church. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you haven't met me before, it's because uh, I've been gone on a a leave of absence for the past several weeks. And uh, as many of you know, uh, my family had a a tragic loss. And uh, about a month ago, our, our son, Benjamin, was born prematurely and died um, within 24 hours of being born. So we've been grieving and in a pretty pretty hard place in life. Um, the fog of that grief is just now starting to lift and starting to feel a little bit more um, normal again. So that's been, uh, that's what's going on with us and some of you have asked me, oh, are you preaching today? And I said, well, not, not really, uh, but sort of. Uh, I, th- I thought today I would more just kind of share what has been going on, uh, the circumstances of um, the pregnancy, the, the birth, the death, and what we've been going through as a family. And uh, it's not a, a neatly packaged sermon and we're still kind of in the thick of it, so uh, there's no neat conclusion to uh, the story. Uh, but hopefully it will be meaningful for, for all of us that we will all face grief in our life and, and loss, and maybe God will have something to say to you through that. Um, and then for, for selfish reasons, I think there will be some a level of healing for me uh, to be able to talk about it with you. And uh, this, is, this is my family. I, I know some of you are, are new to the church and, and maybe haven't even met me yet, uh, but you guys have been there for us and have been praying for us and have really poured your love out every, every step of the way. So as my family, uh, you, you should know what's going on. Uh, so I just want to be as honest as possible today and, and just tell you what, what's been going on and uh, hopefully what God has been teaching to us in that as well. And uh, I do hope that it's meaningful for all of you. Um, hopefully it will be depressing up front and then less depressing at the end. Then we can still have fun at the picnic. That would We don't want everyone to be like crying at the picnic. That would be no good. Um, On June 10th, about seven weeks ago, 
Um, I missed several calls from my wife, Tomi. Uh, I was in a meeting at the church office and, and didn't answer. Uh, then her brother sent me a message saying, Tomi just called me and started crying and hung up the phone. So I was kind of freaked out. I, I tried calling her several times, and uh, when I finally got through, she told me that um, she started bleeding uh, vaginally and uh, was, was going to the hospital. Uh, she hopped in a cab and went to Bronx Lebanon Hospital where she had been receiving her uh, prenatal care. Um, I wrapped things up and, and headed up there as quickly as I could. And obviously, bleeding is a bad sign, so we were worried, and that's why she went to the hospital. Uh, but I got there, and things seemed to be going okay. Uh, I found Tommy and Abigail, uh, our 15-month-old daughter, in the labor and delivery ward of the hospital. Uh, Tommy was being checked out, and things seemed to be stable. Uh, it's not totally uncommon for a woman to bleed during pregnancy. Um, they checked the vitals of the baby. They did an ultrasound, and everything seemed to be clear. Um, Abigail was restless. It was kind of a, a tight room. Uh, so I took her into the waiting room, um, thinking that everything was fine. And a few minutes later, a, a doctor came out to us and sat down next to me and said, I'm sorry, but it's a loss. And I didn't respond. I, I had no response. I, I, I couldn't believe what she was saying. Like, it didn't register in my mind. Because just minutes ago, I was with my wife, and we saw our baby moving on an ultrasound, his heartbeat was normal. It, it didn't compute in my mind what she was saying. So after a, a minute or two of silence, um, I was just like staring at Abigail or, and then staring out into space. She said it again, I'm sorry, but it's a loss. So I started to ask some questions about what had happened and, and what was happening. And she said, well, let's let's go and be with your wife. So we walked back into the room, and uh, even before we got there, I could hear Tommy uh, screaming and, and crying. I mean, I mean, she was pretty much hysterical, um, as you can imagine, to, to think everything is okay and then to be told that your kid is, is dead. Um, so we went in, and... Um, I tried to console Tommy as much as possible, but was still kind of very unclear about what was happening. And once we were together, they explained a little bit more. Um, Tommy had, was dilated four and a half centimeters. As far as they could tell, the baby was coming, like now, and. He was only 23 weeks old, so according to the medical community, that's not a viable life. So when they said 
it's a loss that what they really meant was this baby's coming and he's going to die. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, so Tommy and I made it as clear as possible. We, we want this baby to live. If this baby's still alive right now, what can we do to save his life? This is our son and we're going to do whatever we can. They explained all the, the risks to us um, with a baby being born that prematurely. Um, a lot of times families will elect to not do anything because uh, at 23 weeks, if a baby does survive, they're almost definitely going to have serious cognitive and, and physical impairments. And just about every doctor in labor and delivery and in the neonatal ward kept telling us all the risks and we kept saying we want this baby to live. So we came up with a plan which basically was um, total bed rest for Tomi. She was going to be hooked up on an IV and given a round of antibiotics because of the dilation and the risk of infection um, and also receive a round of steroid treatments uh, which is to strengthen the baby's lungs. There would be three rounds of steroids happening 12 hours apart. And if we could get all three rounds of steroids in, that would actually be a, a dramatic improvement. That's the main concern with uh, a preemie that early is that their lungs are not equipped to survive outside of the womb. Uh, but steroids have been shown to uh, give strength to the lungs and, and improve the outcome. Um, but they were not optimistic. They said, we'll do this, but they really thought the baby was coming in a matter of hours. Um, that didn't happen. We Things went well. Um, I started emailing and texting people saying, here's what's going on. Please pray for our family. We need a miracle to happen here. And the hours passed, and we got to 12 hours, and then to 24 hours, and to 36 hours, and completed the round, uh, the first round of steroids. Um, after that, we just kind of settled into hospital life. There was nothing we could do except wait and pray and remain optimistic. And every day in the womb is significant. Um, that's where the baby grows and gets strong. We kind of had some specific goals in mind, um, even though it was one day at a time. First we thought, let's get to 36 hours. If we can get to, if we can get the, the steroids into his body, that's going to be a major victory. Then we thought, let's get to 24 weeks. If we can get to 24 weeks, that's kind of the threshold of when they consider a, a baby viable. Uh, let's get to 25 weeks. Um, that's when the chance of survival is, is statistically much higher. And we were optimistic. We really... We really felt good about how things were going. Um, the hospital staff 
thought that this baby was going to die. And then they thought, well, if not today, maybe tomorrow or maybe the next day. And with each passing day, it gave us reason to be more hopeful and more optimistic. Um, Especially in those first few days, we really had a a steady stream of you all uh, coming to see us. On um, the 11th, the very next morning, the second day we were there, Dane and Kathy came at like 7.30 a.m. to pray with um, Tommy and me. And after that, every couple hours, someone would show up and just spend some time with us, bring some non-hospital food for Tommy to eat. And we had a strictly enforced rule that if you were there, you, you couldn't leave without praying with us. Um, so several times a day, you all would be there spending time with us and then praying for us. And um, that kind of became our life. I would leave a few hours a day to go see Abigail. Um, Tommy's mom was living with us and, and taking care of her most of the time. I brought photos to Tommy's hospital room and hung them on the wall. Um, we put scripture verses on the wall to give us hope that we could read. And um, things seemed to be getting better. We had uh, some slogans that we would say all the time, uh, one day at a time, and no news is good news. Because uh, all we could do is wait. Every, every day made things look better. Um, during that time, there were two psalms that we really uh, clung to tightly. And we didn't, only, we didn't just read them, we also uh, we would play them on our iPhones um, if you have the um, Bible app, what is it, the U version, you can click play, and the guy has a great voice. It just it seems more spiritual when someone else reads it. Um, so at least at least once a day, we were listening to um, Psalm 25 and Psalm 139, and it was saying things like. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained to me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And unfortunately, these same words that brought us comfort and hope um, were the words that we read at Benjamin's funeral um, just a few days later. On the evening of the 22nd, uh, after almost two weeks in the hospital, Tommy started to bleed again, and they moved her back to the labor and delivery floor. And no one was really sure what to think, because um, after 
two weeks, things had gone much better than the medical staff had thought. So we knew it was not ideal, but it didn't change the plan at all. All we could do was wait and take it one day at a time and be hopeful. And then on the 23rd, we hit the the 25-week mark. Um, The potential outcomes were much better at that point. Even the doctors seemed cautiously optimistic about what was going to happen. Uh, But Tomi continued to bleed, and, and we knew that wasn't a good sign. And then on the morning of the 24th of June... Uh, Tomi passed a blood clot in her bedpan uh, that was about the size of a pancake. And uh, when I saw that, I, I knew it was not a, a good sign. Um, for, the, for two weeks, I had been really hopeful and optimistic. And when I saw that, that was probably the first time where I really felt fear. Um, I knew that that blood clot was not a good thing. We'd really been praying to make it to the 29-week mark. That was like our long-term goal. At 29 weeks, um, a premature baby has essentially no long-term disadvantages. Um, The technology is advanced enough now that you're almost always a totally normal human being. So that was what we were hoping for, but at 25 weeks, the survival rates were very high. Um, even the likelihood of being fully functioning were were high. So it was, felt like a setback, but we still felt really optimistic. Um, we were checked by the doctors, and um, they agreed that we were not going to make it to 29 weeks that this baby was coming. Uh, Tomi was experiencing cramping, which they thought was contractions. Uh, she was bleeding much more, and her uh, water sac had descended even further into the vaginal canal. And as far as they could tell, it was just a matter of a few hours before this baby was going to come. And there suggestion was to do a, a c-section that that would be the safest for the baby um there wouldn't be this the stress on his body of of pushing him out um so after talking about it and praying we we agreed we uh we called up dane who if you guys don't know dane is the prayer ministry leader at the church and really someone gifted in prayer and he prayed for us over the phone before we went into surgery. And um, that day on Tuesday, June 24th at 3.23 p.m. Um, at 25 weeks and one day, our son was born. And he was one pound, 10 ounces, and just over a foot long. And... Um, he he audibly screamed just once in in the del- delivery room. Um, they let us hold him, and uh, Tommy even got to kiss him on his face before um, they took 
took him to the uh, neonatal intensive care unit. About an hour after that, I was standing outside of the NICU, uh, just watching through the glass what was happening. And the doctors were far from being cool, calm, and collected. Um, the atmosphere was really frantic and the monitors kept flashing yellow and red and alarms were going off um, and it was really apparent that things were not going like they should. Um, one of the doctors did come out to me and talk to me and just kind of fill me in on what was going on um, but also said that this is somewhat normal, that uh, there's always a period of time that it, it takes to get a premature baby to be stable, and they still felt uh, fairly optimistic. Um, but by later that evening, they felt that the best chance of survival was to transfer him to a different hospital. Um, Tomi and I were brought back to the NICU and uh, she had just been in surgery so they rolled her in in a wheelchair and uh, we got to spend a, a few more minutes with our son and um, we kind of kind of understood that that was because they weren't sure they weren't sure if he would survive the ambulance ride from Bronx Lebanon to uh, to Montefiore. Uh, at this point he was he was hooked up to so many wires and, and a breathing tube that we weren't able to hold him um, but we got to put our, our finger in his hand and touch his cheek and and talk to him and, and tell him that we love him and uh, take a few pictures and uh, Tommy and I Tommy and I both thought that he would he would die in the ambulance ride so Tommy had just gone through major surgery she she wasn't allowed to leave the hospital, um, but I, I got in my car and drove to, to Montefiore and got there um, around 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, to my surprise, he, he had not passed away. He was there. Uh, he was alive and doing better than he was doing at Bronx Lebanon. They had some uh, equipment there that they didn't have at at the other hospital, and um, Benjamin's oxygen levels were better. His heart rate was down, and the staff was calm. Um, there was there was hope again. There was optimism. We even talked about how long he might be in 
the NICU for and how long before Tommy might be able to come and see him and um, what we would do as a family for the the probably four months or more that he would be there. And I went to leave feeling like things had improved a lot. And one of the nurses said, oh, you should, you should say goodbye to him. I said, no, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll, be, back to, I'll be back later today. It was 4 a.m. I was just going to go home and sleep and come back. She said, you know what, you should. You should just go over there. Um, so they, I got to reach through the little opening in the incubator and, and touch him. and He was warm and, and seemed calm. So I, I left thinking that I would be back. And about two hours later, he, uh, he passed away. And uh, they called me, I think around 6.30 a.m. I'd, I'd only been home for maybe an hour and was really kind of disoriented and out of it. And I didn't answer the call, um, but... I, I, I knew why they were calling. Um, they had even said, we're not going to call. If, if nothing changes, we're not going to call. We're only going to call if, if some, something bad happens. Um, they called Tommy after calling me a few times and uh, told her over the phone that Benjamin had passed away. Um, so that, that morning, I... Shortly after, I drove back to Bronx, Lebanon, and I think it it wasn't until I walked back into her room that uh, both of us really just broke down and um, allowed ourselves to, to fully grieve uh, what had just happened. We... Uh, we cremated Benjamin's body and had a small memorial service with our families and just a few of our closest friends. Since that time, um, my questions have not really been so much medical as uh, existential. Why did we have those two weeks in the hospital? Uh, Why did I leave that night feeling like there was hope? Why are are some prayers answered when some aren't? I think Tommy and I both couldn't help but ask, did we do something wrong? Uh, Was there something physically that we did wrong. Um, Even the thought was, is this some kind of punishment for something that I did, some sin that I committed? Did we lack faith that God would heal? When we were in the hospital, um, 
after that first day, when they thought, when they told us Benjamin was a loss, and each day keep kept passing, I said that we should name him Isaac, um, which means he laughs, because uh, I thought. God was God was laughing that the doctor said that he was going to die. Uh, but then when Benjamin was born, um, I, I didn't feel right about that name. So I questioned: Did I not? Did I not have enough faith? I questioned if there was any kind of divine plan behind this or, or do things just happen? Uh, and I even question why hasn't God been more present uh, in the pain? Um, and I think for me it was important that I allowed myself to ask these questions um, and that I'm even still wrestling with them I don't think there's anything heretical about asking the hard questions. I don't think God is insecure when we ask things like this. And I'm also trying to come to peace with the fact that there might never be an answer. Um, it might just not be my place to know. And ultimately... Uh, be okay with that. So Psalm 13 seemed appropriate for today. Uh, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And I think really what this psalm is saying is, God, I'm angry. I want you to do something, but I trust you. And I think in some ways it is a progression that there's these questions that we ask that are largely hyp hypothetical and largely just an expression of our grief and anger. And that starts to turn into asking God to actually do something about it. Look on me and answer. Give light to my eyes. And then ultimately, there's trust. And that's obviously the hardest part. So in some ways, these are steps that I'm moving through, uh, but they're also things that are happening simultaneously. And I don't know if I'm fully there yet. 
Um, I was kind of dreading coming today and talking about this. And uh, in some ways only came because Ryan is gone. And uh, it was it just, the pieces were in place for me to be here. But I know that it's important to talk about it. And I, I want you guys to know uh, what's going on. Uh, so I, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And I, I know that it's true in my mind. Um, I understand it cognitively. But I, I don't fully feel it yet. Um, I'm still in the process of that really becoming real to me um, right now. There's been um, two secular quotes to you that I've really been meditating on that has been helping me um, over the past month. And the first one is from Ernest Hemingway in Farewell to Arms. He says, The world breaks everyone, then some become strong at the broken places. And uh, I think there is some comfort in knowing that the world really does break all of us. Uh, That part of what it means to be human is to experience deep pain. But that when we're broken, we're not destroyed. That there is healing and that we can be stronger for enduring that brokenness. And that's kind of how I feel. I've been broken but not destroyed. And uh, I know that strength is coming and already here. Uh, The other quote that I've been thinking about for, for a while now but has been especially meaningful during this time. It's from a Swedish diplomat and a Nobel laureate, a guy named Dag Hammarskjöld. Uh, his many good quotes, but he said, uh, For all that has been, thank you. For all that will be, yes. And... Uh, I want that to be my perspective. I want that to be my outlook, not just right now, but in life. Um, For all that has been, thank you. Uh, Because everything that we go through becomes a part of who we are. And when it's in the past, we can either choose to be bitter about it or we can choose to accept how that shapes us and who we become through that. And I'm not fully to the point of saying thank you for what we've gone through. I'm ready to say yes to what's coming. I'm not fully ready to say thank you. But I I do have a lot to be grateful for. I'm really grateful for this church community. I'm grateful for the way that you guys have loved us and prayed for us 
and been there for us and sent meals to our house. Um, and I'm really grateful for our daughter Abigail and for my wife Tomi. And just the gift of having people to be there for me and the gift of having a daughter who's wonderful um, and just the therapy and, and being with her um, I think it would have been even more devastating for us to lose our son and not have anyone else to go home to um, you know which isn't to say we're putting Abigail up on this pedestal that she'll never live up to, but we're, we're just really grateful for her. I do want to answer the question, um, which maybe is on some of your minds, which is, what, what, can we, what can you do for us? And honestly, I think the main thing is to keep praying for us. Um... We're starting to feel normal again, uh, but it's, it's only been a month. And one of the things that's hard, that's hard about a premature baby is that our, our due date wasn't until the beginning of October. So we still have August and September and, and October to really be reminded of the anticipation and excitement of what we thought was going to be our new life. Um, Tomi had even written it on her calendar each week, um, each week of how old Benjamin would be. So we really do need your prayers, um, just for God to be present in our lives and for us to be healed. And uh, I would also ask that you guys don't ask too many questions. Um, one of the things that's hard about grieving is that there's almost a sense of dread about going out in public. Um, you don't want to bump into people and have them ask you the awkward question of like, oh, how are you feeling? And then to keep saying that same story over and over again is to relive some of the pain. Um, so I would ask that you guys don't, don't ask too much. Um, because the answer will be the same. We're doing okay, but we're still hurting. Um, you guys have been really good about this, but we don't, we don't need explanations either. Um, ultimately, God only knows. And for any one of us to try to offer an explanation would be speaking from a place that we don't know. Um, and you guys have been really good about that. Tommy and I... Have, have laughed to each other because the one thing that people keep saying is there's no words. Um, and that's true, there, there's, there's no words. Um, but the thing that you have been doing and that you can keep doing is to just be there for us and uh, to say I love you and to let us know that you're praying for us, uh, to give us a hug when you see us, and uh, just don't give us like that, that pity look, you know. Look at us like we're normal. Um, and it, it really does help. So we're, I, I do want to say thank you to all of you. We're grateful for this, this church and really have been overwhelmed by, by your response. And I hope it's not 
just because I'm a pastor at this church, I hope that we'll do the same thing for any person who's a part of this this family um, during difficult times. I know many of you were there for Leslie when, when she was going through cancer and, and so many other things. So I hope this is who we are as a church and not a unique circumstance. And uh, just to close, I, I wanted to um, bring up Mark chapter 8. And it's this instance where Jesus heals a blind man. And I don't know why I thought about this the other day, but it, it it's kind of reflective of where I feel like I'm at right now and, and maybe told me to. I'm not sure. Um, but Jesus and his disciples come to Bethsaida and um, the the people bring him this man who was blind and they beg Jesus to touch him and, and to restore his sight. And Jesus leads him outside the village and spits on his eyes and, and puts his hands on him. And... Um, Jesus says, do you see anything? And he, he opens his eyes and things are not clear yet. He says, I see people and they look like trees moving. And then Jesus does the same thing again, spits on him, puts his hands on him, and he's restored to full sight. And nobody really knows why there, this happened, but it was like a partial healing first and then a full healing. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Like I'm, I'm seeing people like trees in the wind and still a little disoriented, still not fully seen, uh, but knowing that the healing has started and knowing that uh, Jesus will give me full sight again. Uh, that he will full, fully heal me. Um, and that I'll, I'll be able to to say, I trust you. And I know that, that you are good. So that's, uh, that's what's been going on for the past seven weeks in our life. And uh, just ask that you guys would continue to be patient with us and and continue to support us. So no no sermon today, just, just an update. Uh, but I hope that it, it resonates with you somehow. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you that in you death is not final. Thank you that there's hope. Uh, even even in the grave. So God, we we do trust you. We do believe that that you're good. And we do even say thank you. God, we just ask that you would be present in our in our lives. That you would meet us in our places of deep hurt that you would show yourself to be loving and good and a God who heals and restores. God, I thank you for this church community. I thank you that this isn't just 
an hour together on Sundays, but that this is your family and your body and that they have acted like your hands and your feet and your mouth and that we felt your love through the people of this church. And I pray that that would be who we are as a church community, uh, that we would love each other and and meet each other, um, not just in their rejoicing, but in their pain. So God, even in the midst of of pain, uh, we say thank you. And we look forward to what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.